Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin, during his day, was one of the most powerful people on earth. He was a communist leader who took part in the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. He was the elder, rather the editor of the Soviet newspaper Pravda, which ironically stands for the Russian word for truth. He was a full member of the Politburo, that's the executive committee for the Soviet Union. And his works on economics and political science are still read today. Nikolai Bakarin traveled from Moscow to Kiev, Ukraine in 1930 to address a huge assembly on the subject of atheism. He aimed his heavy artillery at Christianity, hurling insults and argument against it. After an hour of lecture, he looked out at the audience in what seemed to be the smoldering ashes of people's faith. And he demanded, are there any questions? Deafening silence filled the auditorium until one man approached the platform, mounted the lectern, and standing close to that communist leader, he surveyed the crowd first to his left, and then to his right, and then he shouted the ancient greeting known well in the Russian Orthodox Church. Christ is risen! And in mass, the crowd, all as one person, responded like crashing thunder, He is risen indeed! It's been a greeting that's been going, as Nathan said, for many, many centuries. A man named Peter Larson said, Despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. No other event in all of human history has had a more profound impact than the resurrection of Jesus. It is the reason for the Christian revolution, the rise of this message. That first generation of Christ followers, when asked why they followed him, it was a blunt, straightforward answer. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That was the message. That was the good news. Martin Luther said, the gospel does not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains why we have the gospels. Every thing we have from Jesus, his miraculous birth, his sinless life, his teachings, his miracles, his atoning death, all of it rings true with a genuine authenticity because of the resurrection. The first sermon preached after Jesus' resurrection is recorded in the second chapter of Acts. And Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit, said, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God... But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Those two little words, but God, those two words change everything. God ended death's power, death's agony, and death's hold. God raised him from the dead. God decided that people won't stay buried. The southernmost point of Africa is a point that for centuries, because of the crazy storms, was called Cape of Storms. Did you know that? For hundreds of years, no one knew what was beyond that Cape Point because no ship attempted to sail around it and live to tell about it. But finally, a Portuguese explorer in the 16th century, Vasco da Gama, successfully sailed around that point and made it all the way to the shores of India. The Cape name was then changed from Cape of Storms to Cape of Good Hope. Cape of Good Hope. So it was with Jesus and physical death. Before Jesus, no one had successfully sailed around the Cape of Death. No one knew what was beyond that point because nobody lived to tell about it until Jesus until Jesus. The hundreds of eyewitnesses, eyewitness appearances of Jesus after his resurrection is foundational to our faith. The dead are raised. And that also means that death's agony is removed. Since the fall in the garden of the beginning, death has been the dreaded enemy. You might not believe some of these passages are in the Bible. Look what Job, the book of Job has to say about death. He, the wicked man, is torn from the security of his tent and marched off to the king of terrors. Here's a description of death. Now, a more modern depiction is the hooded, cloaked, faithless, faceless, faithless too, <laughs> faceless skeleton carrying a scythe. Isaiah issues a scathing prophecy to the king of Babylon before his coming death. You can see J.R.R. Tolkien's influence in his Fellowship of the Ring. Look at this text. Look at this. The realm of the dead below is all a stir to meet you at your coming. This is what Isaiah told the king of Babylon before he died. Can you imagine? It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you, all those who were leaders in the world. It makes them rise from their thrones, all those who were kings over the nations. They will all respond. They will say to you, you, you also have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. Dude, did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> that is an awful description of death. And that's what everyone had in their mind until Jesus. <laughs> Jesus changed it. We don't have that description anymore. In fact, the Greek word for agony is actually used 
many times in Scripture to explain the pains of childbirth. And every woman in here who has born a child knows that that pain of childbirth is overshadowed by the joy of new life. Death's agony won't last. It will be replaced with hope and the promise of life. A Christian mother who lost her son in World War II explained, before she found out about her son's death in the war, she wrote this. I wondered, would the rope, she's talking about the rope of faith, would the rope hold if the worst happened? A bent old man brought me the telegram. Regrets to inform you that your son, pilot officer William St. John's, was killed in action. Returning from a Berlin raid, his plane was hit. Stop. In the hours that followed, she wrote, it seemed to me I could not bear it. Yet, in that quiet, I knew beyond anything that can ever be, beyond anything I can express, beyond any doubt that could ever attack as long as I live, with a knowing deeper than breathing and closer than the beating of my sore heart, I knew that my son lived. I knew he had gone through the valley of the shadow called death. Sorrow, I have. Missing my son, I have always. But of grief, I was healed when the comforter told me, all is well with the child. In the 25 years that have passed, moments of sorrow and longing come, but into our daily lives as a family has come the added glory that the rope held. The rope held in our greatest sorrow. The rope of faith will hold you. It, it will. Bill's mother added one more thing, quote, On my desk is a small snapshot of Bill's navigator, his co-pilot, it was taken in the cemetery where men of the Royal Air Force are buried. This friend had flown that last mission with Bill and parachuted in time. In the picture, he is standing on a little bridge, smiling softly. And on the back of the snapshot, he wrote, Do you know why I'm smiling? I have just been to the skipper's grave, and he isn't there. <laughs> That's a word, isn't it? That's a good word. Death's agony is removed. Jerry Sitzer had a similar experience when he lost three generations of his family in one blinding moment. He, his wife, their four children, and his mother were driving and were hit by a drunk driver, instantly taking the lives of his mother, his wife, and his youngest daughter. And he describes a vision that he had after this terrible tragedy. He said, the sun was setting in the west, and he found himself frantically trying to chase after it just to extend the day, just to keep him here. And he said, but it was a losing effort, and he was soon enveloped in this vast closing-in darkness. Well, he would share that shortly after with his sister, and she had such wisdom and insight. She reminded him that the quickest way to reach the sun is not to go west, but to go east and to meet it coming back up to fully enter the darkness. Y'all, that's our road to recovery from death's agony. Sitzer wrote, I discovered in that moment that I had the power to choose the direction my life would head. 
I decided from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than to try to outrun it, to let my experience of loss take me on a journey wherever it would lead and to allow myself to be transformed by my suffering rather than to think I could somehow avoid it. And when we embrace the darkness in agony, who is already there waiting for us? Jesus is there. That's the irony of the whole thing. We think it's just going to wipe us out cover us up in some kind of downward spiral where there's no hope. And there's the master of life waiting. Well, I was wondering when you were going to make it here. (laughs) Tim Keller, uh, y'all listen to this. Imagine two women of the same age, the same socioeconomic status, the same educational level, and even the same temperament. And you hire both of them and say to them, you are part of an assembly line and I want you to put part A into slot B and then hand what you have assembled to someone else. And I want you to do that over and over for eight hours a day. And you put them in identical rooms with identical lighting, identical temperature and ventilation. You give them the very same number of breaks in a day. It's very boring work. Their conditions are the same in every way except for one difference. You tell the first woman that at the end of the year you'll pay her $30,000, and you tell the second woman that at the end of the year you'll pay her $30 million. After a couple of weeks, the first woman will be saying, oh, isn't this tedious? Isn't it driving you insane? Are you thinking about quicking, quitting? <laughs> and the second woman will say, uh, no, this is all perfectly acceptable. In fact, I find myself whistling while I work. What's going on? You have two human beings who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. And what makes the difference? It's their expectation of the future. That makes the difference. What you believe about your future completely controls how you experience your present. The monotonous agony of life loses its power when we embrace our future resurrection. Even times of pain begin to lose some of their sting. The dead are raised. Death's agony is removed. And death's hold is released. You know the only people who were worried about Jesus coming out of the tomb were the people who put him in it? They didn't want anyone stealing Jesus' body, so they secured the grave with soldiers and a Roman seal. But try as they might, you just can't keep a prisoner locked up who has his own set of the keys. Y'all remember our series in Revelation through those churches? Oh, y'all look at this text just just to look at it again. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You can't hold a prisoner that holds the keys. 
The resurrection changed it for us. It may be one of the most shocking passages in all of the Bible. Look at this. This is Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, why did someone from that era not say, that didn't happen? Because it did happen. Death's hold is released. The first sermon that was ever preached after Jesus' resurrection said, people of Israel, listen to the facts. Jesus the victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many powerful miracles, signs, and wonders through him. This man's destiny was prearranged, for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified and that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. Yet, it was all part of his predetermined plan. God destroyed the cords of death and raised him up because it was impossible for death's power to hold him prisoner. The dead are raised. Death's agony is removed Death's hold is released. The pain of death is ended. The permanence of death is broken. Jesus put an end to the pain and permanence of death. C.H. McIntosh wrote, There is power in the presence of a risen Savior to solve our difficulties, remove our perplexities, calm our fears, erase our burdens, dry our tears, meet every need, tranquilize our minds, and satisfy every craving of our hearts. Death's agony removed, death's hold released. Carolyn Ahrens said, the world offers promises full of emptiness, but Easter offers emptiness full of promise. Empty cross, empty tomb, empty grave clothes all full of promise. And the promise, I'm kind of a Johnny One note on this, death's agony is removed, death's hold is released. The issue is, will I believe it? Did Jesus really rise again? Look how John Perel challenges us. If it were not for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, none of this would be practical. But the fact that he is risen changes everything. When you become convinced of that, really convinced, it will set you free. You will not live to be safe. You will live fearlessly for the Savior who marched fearlessly into Jerusalem for you and me. What would it take to convince you? I think this may be why Jesus said and spoke to us about children. Look at this passage. Never hinder a child from coming to me, but let them all come, for God's kingdom belongs to them as much as it does to anyone else. 
these children demonstrate to you what faith is all about. It's just so easy to let the skepticism and disappointment of adulthood seep into our lives and the wonder of amazement kind of slips through our fingers. You know, we get old and more refined and more sophisticated and not as gullible. But the fact of the resurrection quickly restores that wonder of amazement. Our wildest dreams can't capture our Creator and what He has in store for us. It must be the best Easter text in all of Scripture. I'm telling you this strange and wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall all be given new bodies. Oh, thank you. No more muffin top. <laughs> new bodies. It will all happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For there will be a trumpet blast from the sky and all the Christians who have died will suddenly become alive with new bodies that will never, never die. And then we too who are still alive, shall suddenly have new bodies too. For our earthly bodies, the ones we have now that can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish, but will live forever. When this happens, then at last this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where then is your victory? Where then is your sting? For sin, the sting, is, the sting that causes death will be gone. And the law, which reveals our sins, will no longer be our judge. How we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what happens when God says move? You got to move. You got to move. You can't stay where you are. God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that he wants to. Is there anything he can't do. All things are possible with him. God, we are a people who know these words, but we have a hard time translating them into life because we're covered with all of this stuff that makes it seem too good to be true. But it's true. Whatever it takes to open us up to this and to live in accordance with the truth of your rising from the dead. Make it happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, we've saved one of the best, we've, we've, we've saved one of the best songs for the last. Stand up. Here we go.